Welcome to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamensa, and on this podcast, I highlight the unspoken and unsung heroes who are changing the education game as we know it. Every day, I come across the work of so many incredible educators who simply don't get the recognition they deserve. So on this podcast, we will provide you, the audience, with an opportunity to learn the personal stories of these incredible educators and the specific elements that shape who they are in and out of the classroom. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to a brand new episode of Identity Talk for Educators Live, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Sarfamenta. And if this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, I welcome you and I hope that today's episode is one that you will find informative, enlightening, and insightful. And of course, if you are a returning listener or viewer of the podcast, I hope that today's episode is one that you will once again find informative, enlightening, and of course, insightful. So before we get into this podcast and reveal our new guest, uh, let's go over the housekeeping. So as always, if you're on YouTube, uh, make sure you hit the red subscribe button so you can get future notifications of new episodes on the Identity Talk channel. And that includes... Um, new episodes of our newest podcast, Radical Math Talk, which is all about the revolutionaries in math education. And also, if you are someone who wants to give a donation to help us continue to build the platform, uh, we do accept donations on both Cash App and Venmo. So if you are on Cash App, uh, you want to follow us with the handle, money sign, ID Talk for Ed. And if you are on the Venmo, the handle will be at K-W-A-M-E-S-M. So that's Kwame SM. Um, Any donations, small or big, are welcome. And we appreciate those who have been following us from day one, from day 10, day 15. Whenever you started watching this podcast or listening to it, we appreciate the support. And we thank you kindly. So uh, we are now at the main event, and this is episode, I believe, 115, if I'm not mistaken. So we are 115 episodes in, which is a remarkable achievement given all the ups and downs we've had with this podcast all the traveling I've been doing personally, you know, going from one country to the next, being in a new country one week and then another country two weeks later. But and it's just been a, an awesome journey. And this journey is going to continue to be awesome because uh, today's guest is awesome. And we're going to be having an incredible conversation about identity which is the very essence of what we do on this podcast. So I'm glad to have somebody who is a phenomenal educator who's like-minded and just as passionate about fostering a sense of identity, not just 
in our young people, but also in the teachers who are teaching those young people. And we're going to get a we're going to get into a great conversation about everything from that to the importance of character development in our classrooms and how that has to serve as the foundation for whatever comes academically and everything else. If you don't have strong character, you can't achieve academically. So that has to happen before all the other things um, take place. But we're going to get deeper into that, though. But without further ado, um, let me bring on Rebecca Magden to the podcast to talk to us about her work with fostering identity and young people and also just her journey in education, which I believe is a fascinating one. And I know that you all will enjoy her story uh, when she shares it. So let's go ahead and bring Rebecca on. Hello. Hello, hello. So good How to are you here. doing? I'm, yes. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How are you, Kwame? Listen, Rebecca, I can't complain. It's always great to be in conversation with another great educator who's doing transformative work. So whenever I get the opportunity to do that every week, it always lights me up. So so thank you for contributing to that. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor. I've listened to your podcast for a while since we connected uh, several months ago. Yes. And, um, I'm, I'm just, it's an honor to be here. You're doing incredible work. I'm inspired by the work that you do, the educator that you are. And so it's just, it, I'm, it's an honor to be here on the podcast and also just to have this conversation with you. Uh, well, thank you so much. Um, the feeling is definitely mutual and I am ready to get started because you have such a fascinating story and here on this podcast, and as you know how important it is to share about identity a huge part of our identity is our story. Mm -hmm. And we all have a story that led us into this path that we call education. So I want to give you the opportunity to share your story and what ultimately brought you into this wonderful field that we all do. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I would, I'd like to even say that my story began before I was born because I know we both probably we hold such strong value um, to our backgrounds, to the journeys that our ancestors have gone through. And so actually for me in my family, on both sides of, of the family, we have educators, um, teachers, principals, founders of schools. Um, so I'm really honored. I'm privileged to carry on the legacy of education. But to be totally honest, I, in the beginning, I didn't know that I wanted to go into education. Growing up, I always had a heart and a passion for children. Even when I was a kid, I always wanted to, you know, be some sort of support or guidance to other kids. Um, but then going throughout middle school, high school, I was just kind of known as the, the singer. So I'm a musician a singer uh, that I was kind of just, that was my identity, I guess. And so I didn't really know who I was in total honesty. I, I, I found my, a lot of my identity in what other people said about me, what they 
you know, what they believed that I was going to become. I, I, I looked up to other siblings and I was like, well, I'm going to do that because that's what that, you know, that sibling did. Um, and so for me, I, I decided I'm going to major music because that's just what everyone around me had told me like, whoa, you're going to do music then. Right. Um, and it wasn't until I was in college, I started working at a music school and just my love for working with the kids was so strong. I was like, I, I love working with the kids. And eventually, long story short, I, it, it evolved into realizing that what I really wanted to do, my heart was really just pouring into kids, you know, and, and working with them, shaping them. Um, and so I, I changed my major, my junior year of college, I changed from music to elementary education. And that that's kind of where it started with my heart and the work behind what I do there. So right. I, yeah, that's the short story of how I got into education. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So fascinating. So you were a musician. Uh, what instrument did you play? Well, I, I should, I actually, as soon as I said that, I was like, I'm going to take, I need to be careful when I say that because um Musician meaning with my voice. So I do pl play around with the piano and the guitar, but definitely not where I would call myself like a player of those instruments. Um, but I'm a singer. So I was majoring in, in um, vocal education and that was my thing until I realized like, I love it. And I still love that. And I bring music into whatever I do. It's a huge part of my life. It's a part of my family. We're all musicians and singers. Um, but my real passion, it was teaching, it was education and, and working one-on-one -on -one with kids and, you know, in the classroom. So, yeah. All right. Awesome. I awesome. Singer later, I, I can sing. <laughs> uh, you don't have to tell me twice. That's already in my mind. Uh, so, I don't know, are you soprano, alto, tenor? What's your, what's your range? Uh, I would say probably more so in the alto range, but like I said, my family is a huge family and we're all singers. And so I'm the sixth of seven kids. So by the time it came to me, it was like, pick whatever harmony part you can find. So my comfortable range is probably, I would say alto, but I will pull out the soprano and the tenor and the bass, whatever part is missing <laughs> to sing. Oh, so. I Okay. To me, the music that comes from the soul—that's the most—that's the most important thing. Yes, it is for sure. So, both of us grew up as first-generation immigrants in America, and whenever you have that label, there comes some some challenges um, while you're growing up. I know I faced them when I was in school, and. I would assume that you probably face some challenges yourself. So I want to know from you during your childhood, what were some of the challenges and struggles that you faced as far as embracing your cultural identity and being able to, to be your authentic self in the different spaces you're occupying? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Growing up as a first generation immigrant, I was actually the first one in our family to be born in the U S I have, five older siblings and they, as well as my parents were born in India, grew up in India. Um, my family immigrated to the States in the seventies. And then I was the first one born um, 
in the US. And so I feel like it was it really shaped me in a very unique way because I was the first one to really grow up in this other culture that what for me was very, you know, it was very real. Like I started kindergarten in the US. I, you know, I my whole life was in the US besides, you know, going back to visit India. And so um in a you know in a lot of ways I didn't really ever identify as Indian even though culturally you know my family was Indian you know we'd go back and visit but um I you know and I'm sure you could probably relate growing up I didn't really think too much about what I you know my cultural identity but I just you know growing up I, I felt as normal or you know as similar to the other kids as anyone else um but then it was probably around middle school that I really started to feel and be told um, that I was different. And it was something that I really, it was confusing. It was sometimes really disheartening because it would be brought up in times when someone was trying to tell me I wasn't enough, um, you know, in groups of friends or whatever. And it was the first time that I realized, you know, like I, I'm seen as Indian but I very much feel just like any of the other kids. I am, you know, I'm a, an American kid growing up in the U.S., born here. I speak English. Um, you know, I, I actually didn't grow up learning my home, um, you know, our cultural language in India. Um, and so it, it became, it was a, a bit of a struggle in, in that sense that I felt very different, but then I didn't fully understand what it was that I could do differently, you know, at that age, you just really want to be accepted and you want to be seen as just like everyone else. And um, so I would say that was probably the first time I really started to realize that there was something different. And at the time, I didn't realize what a beautiful, beautiful gift it was. I, I think I, if anything, I just wanted to hide and shy away from my cultural identity as an Indian because I, I didn't want it to separate me from the rest. And so I think early on, I, I really learned to, unfortunately, find ways as many, you know, as much as possible, find ways to just kind of blend. You know, I, I talk about using the power of our voices. And I, and I think early on, I learned how to just blend in with the choir instead of ever using my voice in, in its own unique way. And so I would find ways to either blend in or just completely silence myself to dim down my who I was just because I, I really, really wanted to be as American as the other kids, you know, but then at the same time at home, I wanted to be as Indian. Um, and so I think that, that was the beginning of that, that initial struggle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> of just, no, I hear you. Yeah, I hear you. Because um, there's a lot of parallels between how you were growing up and how I grew up. And I remember being in elementary school, knowing that my parents came from Ghana, they spoke a different language, even though they also spoke English as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that when I was at home, I was eating Ghanaian food. I was hearing my parents speaking, you know, their native tongue, our native mm -hmm. tongue. Um, and then when I would go to school, it was a totally different culture. I just blended in with the kids, just like you did. I played the same sports. 
play the same video games. There was really nothing different other than the fact that I was significantly darker than everybody else in the school. And I had a name that was non-English, so it stood out. Uh, but everything else was pretty much the same. So when you talk about just kind of living this double life where when I was in school, my life was like this. When I'm at home, my life is like this. Like it was even to the point where I'll be called a different name at home. I had like a home name and then I had a school name. Wow. Yeah. So like I would never have people call me by my home name at school. And then when I was at home, people didn't call me by my school name. So, yes, mm -hmm. when I'm at school, I'm Kwame. But when I was at home, I was Nana Kakari. Wow. So Kakari is my middle name. But I only used it when I was at home because I just remember my mom and dad calling me Nana Kakari. So it just stuck with me. Mm -hmm. I never understood the meaning behind that until I got older. Um, yeah. But just to your point about language, I think the one thing that I wish I could change about my childhood was just the fact that I didn't get the opportunity to learn the language. I wish my parents had taught me the language. And maybe it's just because of how immigration was back then, where yeah. English was such at a high premium, and it still is now, that they probably felt just to be able to navigate this new country we need to make sure that all of our children can speak English so they could have yeah. access to certain opportunities that we didn't have access to. So that's the only logical explanation I can think of for not yeah. really being able to, to speak my language. Yeah, I know. I totally agree with you. I, I think for me, that's one of the, now I'm like, ah, like I wish, I wish we had learned our language. Um, you know, I, I, for the most, I feel like I understand most of it because I don't know if this happened with you, but we at home, a lot of times they would speak our language. We have two main languages that we speak. So Malayalam or Tamil. So they, they would speak the language, but you know, we would often just respond in English and, um, and, and like, to, you know, to your point, I think it was, well, we also grew up in a town where there were no other Indians and there was, there really wasn't a need, a pressing need for us to, to speak the language. And right. I don't know, you know, I actually haven't asked my parents what their reasoning was, but I think it's probably the same, you know, just we're here in this country. We want the best, you know, opportunities for our children. We, you know, they here they speak English. That's what we want to, you know, even in India, English is, um, held at a high value, you know, it represents education. And so it's, it's now that I'm at, at this point in my life, I'm like, man, like I, such a beautiful gift to be able to be, you know, multilingual, like both my parents, they each speak at least four languages. And, and, and as a kid, I just didn't, um, I didn't understand some of those beautiful gifts that we have as immigrant kids or first generation immigrant kids that our parents are polyglots that we have, I mean, we, the most incredible food with the most incredible spices that, um, you know, the most incredible like background of medical um, knowledge and just all, there's just so much that at, growing up, I'd be like, oh, like the food smells. Like, I don't want to bring that to school. Like, that's mm -hmm. weird. And, and now I'm realizing, 
like just the wealth um, of history that I come from and just how, and how grateful I am for my parents who, you know, your parents are immigrants as well. Like what they, like that, what they've gone through the journeys that, and stories that they've had and the, you know, the faith and the, and just the, the perseverance to yes. not only come as immigrants, but then to also come with children and to, to raise kids in a, in a completely different country and with all kinds of different cultural rules. And, you know, they were navigating a lot. And I, I just, as a kid, I, you don't realize those things. Like you just want, kind of wonder like, why aren't my parents like everyone else <laughs> seems to be, you know, exactly. but it's, it's exactly it's incredible, incredible gift. I'm so grateful. Mm, for for sure. <laughs> um, and I think it wasn't until I started to live abroad that yep. I started to realize how fortunate I was uh, to have the the culture that I had, how how important the language was. Mm-hmm. Because when you're here in the States, you're speaking the same language as everybody else. Everybody's speaking English. Mm-hmm. But then the minute that you step out of the country to a totally different one, you now have to get acclimated to their culture. Yeah. You know, because you may be in situations or different nations where they're not going to be speaking English. Mm-hmm. There might be a small conglomerate of folks who speak it. And if they do, they may not speak it as fluently as, as they need to in order to be able to understand you, right? Right, yeah. So I'm wondering, when you ultimately made that transition uh, to go abroad, right? And I think your first stop was in, was it Brazil? Yep, in Brazil. All right. Yep. So when you um, moved uh, to Brazil, first off, what motivated you to make that move and then secondly, how did that transform not just your, your practice, but just your whole psyche? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's crazy. Kwame, I, you know, starting out, like when people see me today, I think, you know, when they they meet me today, they I think they probably see the super confident woman who's lived in multiple countries around the world and embraces change. Like it's her best friend, Um, you know, just speaker, uh, international educator, author, all this stuff. But the truth is it wasn't always that way at all. Um, If you had met me even 10 years ago, I, um, was I used to be just crippled with anxiety about change. And I used to even tell people, like I have friends I could call up right now and they would they would tell you that I would I used to say I love structure and routines and procedures and just I wanted to know like the next step and what things were going to look like. And um once I can had kind of carved out a particular lifestyle, I was good. And so I never really saw myself, you know, we grew up traveling a lot. We went to many places around the world, but even then I was like, I, I, I'm someone who likes to stay planted in one place. And now I look at myself and I'm like, I can't believe that this is who I am. Um, 
And so when you ask like what what inspired me to even go, I would I would honestly say it was just being thrown into the I want to say like the fire of change. You know, I was I had an opportunity to move to New York City. Um, I think it was about 12 years ago now. And it just completely upset my whole um, plan of life. You know, I, like I had this perfect suburban life that I had going on living in Texas and um, had this opportunity to move to New York, took the opportunity and then completely panicked and freaked out because I, I was like, I am not someone who likes change and likes uh, big cities. And, and then it was honestly just Kwame like being thrown into it and suddenly little by little realizing like more of who I, who I was and the, the layers of confidence that were deep within that I had never really um, tapped into because I had just covered it up with so much insecurity and just fear and, and need for things to stay the same so I could predict the outcome. And, you know, I think honestly it was New York first, that whole experience of just realizing like, I can't predict the outcome. And when I, once I embrace that and realize like I can't predict the outcome and I'm still going to be okay. And if I commit to growth, I'm going to see myself evolving into more of the kind of woman I want to be. It just really opened my eyes to like, oh my gosh, like what else is out there that I haven't even explored because I've been living in fear. And, um, you know, I would say my desire for living somewhere abroad was actually present since I was, you know, a young kid, 14, 15 years old. I really, I, it probably goes back to what you, what we were talking about earlier, as far as growing up as first generation immigrants, um, around 14, 15 years old is when a lot of Mexicans had moved into our town. And this was the first time that anyone of color was around like I, that other kids of color were around me. And I, again, I didn't consciously think about this because I had, I, I had wonderful friends who were white Americans in our town, but something just clicked when, you know, when I started making friends with uh, some of the new Mexican immigrants that had moved into town and it just felt like there was a familiarity. Like we got each other, we understood each other's families, our backgrounds, our parents and the multiple languages and different cultural you know, here at home and here at school kind of life that we were living. So I remember even back then I was like, someday I want to live in Latin America. I want to live in Mexico. I would just that I felt such an affinity with the culture. Um, so fast forward to when I was living in New York, uh, I met some other educators who had lived abroad and I had never really, I didn't know about the life. You know, I was like, I'd heard about the Peace Corps or, volunteering on mission trips and things like that. But I had no idea that there was even such a thing as international education. And, and you know, so they kind of opened my eyes to that. Um, and I literally took the hugest step of faith. I resigned from my job. I signed up, you know, to through a program that kind of connects you with other international schools, quit my job in New York and just, without having a, a job lined up, I was like, okay, I'm doing this. I know, like, I just felt it in my heart. I was like, this is what I'm doing. And um, ended up getting a job in Brazil. And yeah, that began the the whole journey of international education that I haven't been able to quit. So <laughs> um, 
Wow. Yeah, it's a lot. Wow. <laughs> but what's crazy is, is the irony of what you just said. So you just acknowledge the fact that you're someone that doesn't do well with transitions, constant change. I'm the same way. I'm someone that likes stability. I like to be stationary at one place for an extended period of time. Uh-huh. So then, you know, when uh, my family and I started to live abroad and we saw how transient this lifestyle is, it was a learning curve for me. Because, you know, my wife, she's she's traveled to so many different places. So she's used to the constant transition, you know, being a former Peace Corps volunteer and having other international learning opportunities. This was something that wasn't a foreign concept for her. Uh-huh. Um, but you just went ahead and just took a leap of faith. And, you know, my therapist tells me that in order to change your mindset, you have to apply what she was calling um, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh-huh. Ultimately, like this idea that you have to send your brain positive messages as a way to counter the negative ones that can creep into your mind. Right. Because we don't know that the negative is going to happen. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like how we have imposter syndrome. You know, when it comes to jumping to personal opportunities, it's the same thing when you're making a transition. We have these preconceived notions about what's happening, and then we scare ourselves out of not doing the opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I always say that the, I really believe that the things that we feel are our weaknesses really have an underlying strength that we maybe just haven't uncovered or tapped into yet. And so for me now, when I think about my identity, I'm like, I love change. I love, um, I think I, I, I'm, I embrace change. I, I, it actually freaks me out, the idea of, of being stagnant. And I, I don't mean necessarily like staying in one place physically. I just mean like I learned that what was happening wasn't, it wasn't so much about the geographical location. It was like my, I used to be very like fixated on things have to stay the same because I'm too afraid of what happens internally when I can't predict the outcome. And now I'm like, Oh, when I can't predict the outcome, that's usually because I'm taking a step of faith to do something greater than what I feel comfortable with right now. I'm pushing the limits of my comfort zone. um, And that always signifies growth. And to me, I'm like, that's what life is. Like if we're not growing, if we're not evolving, we're not stepping further out into, you know, into to push our comfort zone a little further out. Um, then we're not, I, I feel for me, I'm like, then I'm not growing. I'm not truly living life fully. If I'm, not, if I'm never willing to sit with the uncomfortable beauty of change, you know, wow. because like, you, you learn so much about who you are when you yes. are uncomfortable, when you're facing yes. Staring at, you know, right in the face of fear, of uncertainty, when you're staring out into the middle of darkness, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen next. And then you really have to tap into like, well, then who am I? Like, who who am Mm -hmm. I? Am I able to stand firm in my identity and who I am 
not knowing any, like what's going on around me, what's the next step, you know, you, it, it just solidifies you in a way that I think, um, it's just, it's just remarkable. It's to me, I'm like, that's, that's life, you know? And so when you were talking about the, the experience of moving abroad, when I moved, you know, my first international move was to Brazil and I would say it was just life changing, you know, to be in that immediately you're just thrown into uncertainty and yeah. uncomfortability and not because any, you know, it was an amazing experience, but it's just not, it wasn't what I was used to. So new language, new culture, new ways of doing everything, you know, banking and just all the stuff that you're, you're like, oh, I have to figure out all this stuff. I'm not just on a vacation. You know, people a lot of times are like, oh, you live abroad. You just must hang out at the beach. And but no, you're like working, you're living, you're you're creating a life in a complete other country. And and I think just the the strength and the resilience that you learn in doing that. Um, it was just, it was just quite honestly, very life-changing, you know? Yes, it is. And what's amazing is that I sense that we're starting to segue into the work that you're going, that you ended up doing, which is why we're here. Right. So you're, you're looking at your upbringing. You're looking at the constant transitions you've made from, you know, being in Texas in a small suburban town to moving to New York and then ultimately to Brazil. And then you stay abroad for a little bit. And during that time you're abroad, you start to make some connections between the self-work you've been doing with your identity to how it's connecting now to the work that you're doing directly with young people in the different international schools uh, you worked in. So I'm interested in knowing when was that, was there a particular moment that you can remember where the light bulb just lit up and you just said, okay, this is the jackpot. We need to start talking about identity. This yeah. is it right here. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think there was definitely a moment, but I, it was always, it was something that was building up inside of me for years. And, you know, like you said, it, it definitely has to do with my background, my, my heart for kids, my upbringing, the way our family looks at, at the world and our, our purpose and our impact. Um, and then it started just like with my experiences um, as an educator, I, I worked in you know, Title I schools in the U.S., um, inner city schools. I worked with a few, you know, as a one-on-one -on -one teacher for some families who were, you know, quite wealthy billionaires um, who had access to all kinds of things. I worked with, then, you know, I was working with kids in, in Brazil. I was working with kids in Belgium, very different cultural um, experiences there. And the thing that I, I just was, that I saw that was consistent no matter where I was, no matter the background of the students, the the families that they came from, the languages that they spoke, the resources that they had available, no matter what, the thing that I noticed consistently was that all children still had this deep desire to be known, to be seen, to be loved, and to be valued. And that was just across the board. It didn't matter if there were certain kids that came from a more privileged background, 
with more resources and access to opportunities, they still had this deep desire to be known, to be seen. And, and that's something that, you know, you see, you, when, when you start seeing that, you're like, you know, that this is something that you can't just say, well, these kids must have a better understanding of who they are because they have all of these resources or these kids must be struggling with their identity because they, on the, on the, on paper, it looks like they don't have as much. What I saw is that what really mattered was what you were pouring into kids to really develop them emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Those are the things that outlasted any kind of other access to opportunities or privilege, you know, and I'm not saying that those, that those um, privileges and opportunities definitely don't make a difference in someone's life. But what I saw was that the core and the strength of a child and a human being really came down to what was being poured into them to build them up emotionally and spiritually, mentally. And so um, when I was in Brazil that first year, one of my close colleagues and friends, uh, Nicole, she and I just would have these conversations about, man, it's crazy that as educators, we just really don't, you know, of course we love our kids. We, you know, there's a lot of emotional connection there, but there's not really like an intentional, you know, space, time and space to pour into kids and, and to allow them to just uncover more of who they are. And we really started, we had these incredible conversations about how our own growth personally as adults had come from going through life's challenges, building our own resilience, discovering more of who you, you we are just through going through life. And so we just started thinking like, what would happen? Like, wouldn't that be incredible if we could create time and space for kids to safely start exploring themselves early on instead of like when they're in their 20s, 30s, 40s, you know? Um, and so that was the beginning, this little spark of what became Marakuja, which is now a character-driven uh, education program that we started in Brazil. Um, I continued in Belgium, and now it's in a few international schools, um, some schools here stateside. And it's really, it's just it's powerful. I mean, I could talk about Marakuja forever because it's just, it's my baby. It's, it's my heart. It's basically a time and space for kids to explore their identity, to explore their, their inner workings. Um, they, we, we do a lot of work around just, you know, helping them to understand what their strengths, underlying strengths are that may be covered right now in insecurities or fear. Just like I was talking about earlier, there's a lot of times where our strengths are very deep underneath something that we think is our weakness. So we do a lot of this work um, and have these conversations with kids. And then they do this through the lens of passion learning. So so they are exploring different things they're, that they're curious about, that they're interested in. And so it's, it's just, it's life-changing. Um, they, you know, they might be exploring music. They might be building a website. They might be exploring entrepreneurship. Uh, fashion design. We've seen like just some of the most incredible things during Marakuja, but at the very core of it all, at the foundation is the character development piece. So always coming back to what they're learning about themselves, how they see themselves growing, how they see their strengths being used to impact the world and their community around them. And, you know, just putting it into the hands of the students, like giving them the opportunity 
to explore themselves. You know, we had this one kid who said one time, he's like, you know, Marakuja is, it gives me an opportunity to study an academic subject. And that subject is me. And it was just really impactful to us because we're like, you know, that's so true. Like we are, we spend most of our day, you know, pouring into them in academically math, writing, reading, science, all the stuff. Um, but this is an opportunity for them to just, I want to study me, like who am I and how do I work? How do I interact with others and how do I celebrate others? How do I celebrate myself? How do I, um, what, how do I build resilience? Like when challenges come and it is incredibly powerful. I'm going to stop there because I, I honestly could talk about it <laughs> nonstop. I, it's, I love it. I love it. It's, it's my heart. So Maracuja, it sounds very much like an exploratory framework where yeah. nothing's really set in stone. It's very much dictated by whatever passions the students gravitate towards. So really, you're just exposing them to different things. And then really, it's up to the student to determine, well, what am I most passionate about? What best defines who I am based on mm -hmm. my interests? So they're pretty much taking inventory as they're exploring these different, um, these different pastimes, these different activities that are set in front of them. Am I understanding this correctly? Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I. When we first created Marakuja, I really did start as a passion learning program. We wanted to explore, give them opportunity to explore different curiosities and passions. Um, but very quickly, it evolved to it being way more about char the character piece. And so now I, I, I tend to kind of move away from the term passion learning because, um, because I just think sometimes as educators, as the adults, especially, we kind of lock into like, oh, okay. So if it's if they're learning, you know, for example, if, if a kid is exploring guitar, then I it gives me a framework to where I can kind of guide him. And I can kind of, you know, you, I don't think you intentionally as an educator say, I want to control the kid. But you do, you have this need for like, I want to keep things nicely structured so that um, there at the end, I can see some kind of outcome. Like there's can he play these chords? Can he, you know, strong these, you know, different patterns? Um, and really that at the, the core of the program, it's more so about at, at the end, can he talk about who he is? Can he share his strengths? Can he talk about his weaknesses? As he builds character, strengths, you know, resilience, patience, time management, communication, working with others, some of those, those pieces, those 21st century skills um and then how is he going to learn those things well we're not going to do these cold you know isolated lessons on this is how you learn resilience no we're actually going to give an opportunity the time and space to build time management patience resilience all the things and that time and space we are we're using this opportunity to explore passions because they are very closely intertwined um you know your passions, the things you naturally gravitate towards, and then your your strengths, your character, who you are. And so we, through the program, we found this beautiful way to kind of merge the two and give kids an opportunity to explore different curiosities. We tell them this isn't something that you're committing your the rest of your life to. 
you're exploring different things. But the main thing that we want you to walk away with at the end is being able to really communicate more about who you are and to just know, to have that inner strength and that inner, you know, foundation of this is, I I know who I am. I know how I react when things don't go my way. I know how to problem solve around that. Um, And so, yeah, so it's, it's a, it's, I would say it's a beautiful blend of both. It's, it's the exploring the passions and the curiosities, but always, always coming back to like, and who does that say, you know, what does that say about who I am? You know, so that's, that's the, the foundation of the whole program. So as you're describing the program, I'm thinking about a term that we hear so often in our education circles, and you're probably familiar with it as well. We hear about metacognition, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much every, if you're a teacher and you've been through a traditional teaching program, you had to have heard the word metacognition at least once in your life. You've probably seen it in your teacher licensure test. I'm pretty sure you have, yeah. right? So whenever we hear that word metacognition, it's always about this, this concept of getting students to know how they learn, how they process information. Mm-hmm. But with Maracuja, it sounds so much deeper than that you're taking it to another level because now it's more about how do I problem solve right um how do I navigate these different situations and these are things that aren't necessarily academic these are things that you're not going to get assessed on on any test mm-hmm. like these are life skills that are going to translate into adulthood and beyond that yeah. we so often overlook in our curriculum. So, you know, when we talk about this idea of uh, social emotional learning, right, SEL, you're really tapping into that piece mm-hmm. um, of the pie because, you know, that's the part that we're fighting for as we speak with everything yeah. going on, particularly in our country. So, I'm interested in knowing from you how does the Maracuja program helped to counter a lot of the negative things that are happening um, in our education world, whether it's with the books being banned, whether it's the anti-CRT rhetoric and, you know, some of the other forces that are being imposed um, in our school environments. Yeah. Well, I mean, I always say when, when, you know, I use the analogy of you can't ask someone to give someone else, you know, you can't ask this child to give food to another child if they themselves are starving. And so to me, the the journey of digging deep into identity and giving kids the opportunity to explore themselves first um, is really powerful because what I've seen, I've been, we've been doing this now for 12 years, 10 years, I we started 2013. So yeah, almost, almost 10 years. Um, and the, the evidence is just, it's just so clear and so like profound. The evidence is that when kids really have the opportunity to understand more of who they are, the, the pillars of strength that they have around their confidence, around their own identity, um, their strengths, all of those things are so secure 
and they it then spills over into all other areas. So, you know, when you say we're not assessed necessarily in these skills, in some ways it's true. Like we don't have a paper, pencil, or computer generated test on these skills necessarily. But you really are like in life, you are assessed on these skills. Like if you can't problem solve, you are, you know, it's going to be a difficult journey for you. If you cannot communicate, if you don't have the skills to hear feedback, if you don't have time management, patience, resilience, it, it is going to affect every other area in your life. And so giving the kids kids an opportunity to build these skills, then it does pour into all the other academic areas. You know, when people are worried, like, okay, this is going to take time away from the academics, actually it adds to the the the, the goodness, I would say, of, of all the other academic areas. Because when you start seeing kids building these skills and then you're moving into, let's say, math, for example, you see some a child struggling with something and then you start seeing them because of, you know, they've been building their metacognition skills they start doing maybe some self-talk or they, they, they remember like, well, during Marakuja, I was faced with this challenge and, and this is how I reacted. And I tried this and I communicated like this. Um, so maybe I can try that now in math when I'm having this challenge here. So you see it pouring into the other academic areas. You see it pouring into the community of the classroom culture and the school culture, because the more I know of who I am and I'm secure in my, in who, my strengths, my, the areas that I'm still growing, the more I'm able to celebrate who you are. And I'm le- I'm not threatened by who you are. I'm not threatened by your strengths. Um, I, I don't need to make light of your vulnerabilities because I also have touched some of my vulnerabilities. So when I see you in a vulnerable place, um, in an area of, of your own personal growth, I can then support you. I can, you know, I have skills to now say, I want to sell, I want to, support you. And when you are shining, I want to celebrate you. And so when we start talking about um, the other issues, racism, um, the anti-LGBTQ rhetoric, you know, the, the, the the many, many, many things that are, we're facing in education right now. um, To me, it always comes back down to like, we need to give kids the opportunity to know who they are, to explore their own identity. Um, It, of course we can, uh, surround them with books and lessons and examples. All of that is really important, but really the the strength comes from kids knowing more of just who they are and knowing their own strengths, their own abilities. Um, and then from there being able to wholeheartedly celebrate someone else, you know? Uh, so to me, this work, this SEL work, the work around, you know, digging deep into emotions, understanding the power of what your emotions can do for you, how they are tools. They're not weapons that damage your, you know, control your life, or they're not a sign of weakness, but your emotions are actually signs and symptoms of what's going on internally. And when you can learn that, you can pay attention to that. You're better equipped to be a productive, positive impact in the world. Um, And that, and that, like I said, it, it really does impact all other areas. You know, I can celebrate you when I know who I am. Mm. Mm. <laughs> wow. Does that make, you know, do you hear what, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, it's just, I can't, yeah. I can't expect you to celebrate me culturally. If you have no idea mm-hmm. who you are, you know, I can't expect you to 
support me when I'm going through a moment where I'm, 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 I'm very clearly displaying my weakness or I'm, this is an area of my growth. If you've never been in a place where you've had to look internally at some of your weaknesses and you know, oh man, this is, she's probably feeling this way. She's probably thinking this. So this is because I did. And so I want to support her, you know? This is perfect because it's going to lead right into my next question. So up until this point, we've been talking about how uh, Maracuja works from the student perspective. I'm wondering if you have a Maracuja program for teachers who want to learn more about themselves and, and how they function so they can better serve their students. Well, I love that you asked this spontaneous question and put me on the spot <laughs> because I actually just recently um, announced that I'm going to be putting out an education education course or well, a course for educators this coming fall. If all goes well with the timeline and everything, that's my heart. It really is. My heart is just it's kids, it's educators, it's, you know, just people having the opportunity to 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 discover who they are and to discover their own strengths, their purpose, their impact. Um, and, and it really came out of a place of having gone to many schools now and, and doing some of the training around Madhukuja for kids. I'm, you know, essentially I'm working with the adults though. I'm working with the teachers, the school leadership, um, the parents. I love working with the parents, you know, cause they give you such a beautiful insight to who the kids are anyways. Um, and what I was seeing again was consistently across the board in all these different, you know, school settings was this need for the educators and the adults to have a chance to do some of that work themselves. Because as I would mm -hmm. be guiding through them through some of the steps that the kids were going to take, some of the activities that the kids would do, some of the questioning that the kids were going to be partaking in, it always came back to, I would have educators leaving the training session in tears, literally like are coming up to me during the break in tears, just saying like, this is, I feel like I needed this mm. man. Like what would this, I, I keep imagining what would ha have happened if I had had this as a, as a kid, but even now as an adult, like, you know, I've had educators talking to me about just fears and anxieties and, and their own insecurities. And we've all been there. I I'm no different. I just shared with you, you know, just some of the, the ways that insecurity has, you know, essentially started like wanted to rob me of my my ability to live my life fully. And mm. so if I can do anything to help other educators, adults, parents to uncover their own strengths as well as they guide these kids, then I mean that's that's incredible. So yeah, so this fall is when I will be launching a course specifically for right now it's I'm, I'm limiting it to educators who are going to be working with kids, not necessarily even with Marcuja, but just educators, you know, cause I think the thing, and I'm sure you can probably relate Kwame is as educators, we're always pouring out. We're always yes. giving. We, that's our, that's our role. And that's all our the time heart. we're selfless. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, we are celebrated. We are the accolades that come to us when we pour out and we give and we are exhausted, the more exhausted, the better you must be, you know? And I, I, my own personal journey with that has been, you can literally pour so much out and runs like just on fumes to the point where eventually your body 
physically, my body physically had started shutting down. And I was, you know, in a doctor's office being told like, you need to, you need to make some major changes. Otherwise, you you know, this is really going to take over your life. And it was because I was just obsessively. And and again, it's like I say, every strength, it can be turned into a weakness, you know, if you're not careful. And so I had obsessively been someone who was pouring out and giving and doing as much as I could to impact others and not ever taking time to pour into myself and not ever taking time to sit with who, who is Rebecca? What is she going through? What are, you know, what's, what's happening in her life? What, um, what is her purpose? And so to be able to pour into myself when I started to do that, the healing that it brought me literally like it just fueled me to be someone who could pour out and give even more, you know, mm-hmm. because I had to fill up. And so for me, like to be able to work with educators and, and say like, Hey, we all know this isn't easy. We are like, there's just, you know, let's not even get into COVID and just all the impact that that's had, especially for teachers working abroad, away from families, not sure when they might get home. Like, when am I going to see the people that I love? All the uncertainties that that has brought as well, you know, and then to be someone who's like, but I still have to be a strong support to my students. Yep. It's a lot. It's a lot. And so to be able to pour back into those individuals, it's, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to it because, you know, that's my heart. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right. I got one more question. And just as a disclaimer, I did not give you this question, <laughs> but it just popped into my mind as we were having this very organic conversation. And this is what tends to happen when good conversation happens, right? Um, so three Ps are coming to my mind. Privilege, positionality, power, mm-hmm. right? And the reason why I mentioned these three Ps is because, as you know, you know, being an educator who's all about creating spaces of belonging that are diverse, that are inclusive, that are equitable, we have to have an awareness, a consistent awareness of those three Ps in every space we occupy, including the classroom. So I'm interested in knowing how Maracuja allows for educators to keep that reminder at top of mind as they engage with students and do this important work. Yeah, well, you know, those, what you're bringing up is such a good point because that's that's something that's evident all the time. Like we're always thinking about, and I think especially if you come from uh, a marginalized group yourself, then you, you are filtering things through that lens of, okay, how's, you know, how are, how am I presenting things in a way that is accessible to all students? Because I know what it's like to be on the other end where I don't know if I have access or if I have the privilege or the right positionality or, or or the positions of power, you know? So if I've been in those places, I, I filter everything that I do, through that lens, you know, and what I'm teaching and what I'm doing. And it's specifically in Madhukuja, 
I think one of the things that's really impactful is that um, I've, we've created the program to be where it should, it, it, it will, it should, like the, the goal is that it, it's not something that should only work in schools that have a, an incredible amount of resources and, and, you know, access to opportunities, but this is, it's literally since it's a character development program, it's something that we want to make sure that is accessible to students, no matter what the school resources are, what the family's resources are, the languages, any of that. Um, and so a lot of the court, like the, the background work for the teachers, the educators is really going into um, looking beyond some of those things of privilege and positions of power and, and no matter what, like looking into the identity of each child and to giving kids the, the ability to look into themselves um, beyond the, the surface level things or the, the, the external factors that are in play. And so some of the work as we, that we're, we do with the educators has evolved into exploring that for them as well. Like what are some of the places of privilege that you've had that has affected how you carry out your curriculum, how you um, maybe even view or speak to or interact with some of the students and to do some inner reflecting and to be bold enough and, and brave enough to go into some of those vulnerable places where you realize like, okay, like this is an, this is an area for me that I didn't even realize I have a bias. I have a, a bias in this area. And I've had that plenty of times. I still encounter those things in my life. And I think we always should be uncovering new layers of, okay, this is something I've been thinking even just like subconsciously, I'm, I have these ideas and these views and I want to go dig deeper into that and understand like, where is this coming from? How is this serving me? Is it serving me? And what do I do if I, if I recognize I need to change these thought patterns, change, you know, my, my view on things and um, finding that inner strength to do that. Cause it isn't always easy to, to be able to reflect and say like, okay, I didn't realize I had privilege in this area. I didn't realize I had a position of power or I, that I, you know, that I had a, a bias that was affecting the way I interacted with my students. And right. That's a, that can be a scary thing. It can be a really scary thing, especially as an educator, uh, as a school leader, to look and, and say, like, maybe some of my systems that are in practice have benefited me because that's how I function and that's how I grew up. But maybe I can I can look at relook at things and and I can still be OK because it goes back to like the, the change piece. Can I be OK with change? Like, can I be OK that some of my students you know, need, need something differently than what I would have needed or their background is different than what my background was. Right. Um, can I learn to communicate in different ways, you know? And so I think all of that comes back to like that inner core and that inner resilience that we can build as educators. Yes. Yes. <laughs> very much so. But Rebecca, we're actually at the hour and oh we've gosh. had such a great conversation. <laughs> Yeah, how quickly that goes. It's crazy. It's just like, like we're just, like, just, just like that. I, That's why I, I was trying to it. tell you. That's why. That's why I was trying to tell you. That's why you have nothing to be nervous about. We just talked about what you do. That's all we did for an hour. And look how quickly time went. Oh man, so, I love it. So, so to wrap us up, we're gonna do a quick lightning round. 
Oh, man. We're at the home stretch, so I have a few quick hitter questions to close us out. Uh, First question I love to ask my guest is to tell me what their favorite self-care activity is. So what is it for you? Oh, my gosh. Favorite self-care activity, I would honestly say, is meditating. Um, And that Mm -hmm. doesn't always look the same. It's just taking time away from whatever it is going on around me to quiet myself. Um, and I can do that literally in a crowd of thousands, like to find the inner uh, quietness within myself and to just start reflecting, to start thinking about where I'm at, what's going on, how I'm feeling about things. Um, I do a lot of inner self-talk, just like, how are you, how are you doing, girl? Like, what's going on? <laughs> um, and I've, I've found that that to be the most um, powerful self-care activity because I'm just like, I'm checking in with myself like I would with any other best friend, I would check in just to see how I'm doing. And just, and then from there, I know what to do. Like if I, if I feel myself saying like, I just really need some alone time, or I just really need to have some quality friendship time, or I need music, you know, whatever it might be, I can tap into it because I, I check in with myself, you know. Nice. And when you enter a classroom, doesn't have to be your classroom, just any classroom in general. What would be your walk-in song? Ah, my walk-in song. Um, oh, man. You know, like, I, I want to think, I'm thinking of the Sia song, um, but I can't remember the name right now. Great, You can, something about greatness, but basically, mm. like, the freedom to be great. I, I can't think of the lyrics right now, but the freedom to be great, the freedom to, to fly, the freedom to be who you are. Um, but it's just a really upbeat song and the, and the lyrics particularly are just very powerful in, 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 the, in, in the sense of like, be great. Like, don't ask permission to be who you are, just be, you know. So I would that say probably line. that. That's my song because I, I want to bring that energy into classrooms and I want that to infuse the kids. I want them to have that same message within themselves like you don't need to ask permission just be 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 great oh and that's right in the spirit of maracuja yes there you go absolutely i see what you're doing with that all right if you can invite three influential figures dead or alive to dinner who would they be um well, <clears throat> three influential figures to dinner. I would love, honestly, and I'm just going off the top of my head right now. Um, That's fine. I honestly would love to sit down with some of my ancestors that I didn't get to meet. Um, and just to have, like, you know, some deep conversations about who they are. I would say, you know, on both sides of my parents, um, incredible speakers, writers, songwriters, musicians, um, like just really game changers. And I've heard lots of stories about them, my grandparents, great grandparents. And I would love to have a dinner where I could just sit down and talk to them about how they got into what they, they were doing, you know, how they viewed the world, their, their dreams and desires for their future generations, which would be me, you know, 
um, just to hear their hearts around things because I love those conversations that I have. I'm super blessed to have those kind of conversations with my parents. Now they're both in their eighties and I just learned so much. So I think it would just be incredible to maybe even go further beyond that and just, you know, have some of these heartfelt conversations with ancestors. I hear that. Well, Rebecca, well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, this has been awesome. Oh, uh, but before you log off, how can people get in touch with you so they can learn more about the Maracuja program? So if you have any social media handles or even a website they could visit, uh, this is the time to let them know. Yes. Well, um, my Instagram handle is at Rebecca Macton, and it's Rebecca with a K-A-H, so R-E-B-E-K-A-H-M-A-C-D-E-N. So at Rebecca Macton, um, same for LinkedIn and Twitter, Rebecca Macton. My website is also RebeccaMacton.com. Um, I also have a an Instagram handle specifically for Marcuja, and that's um, Marcuja Passion Learning, I believe. I should know this off the top of my head, but Maracuja, you can find us there. Um, but yeah, I would love to be in contact. If you are hearing this podcast, this incredible podcast by Kwame, I would love to be in touch with you. If you're interested in hearing more about the program or my work with schools. Um, and I just love now. I just love connecting. So I just send me a message. Let me know how we can connect. And I want to thank you Kwame because this has been such an honor, such a privilege to be able to be here on the podcast with you to connect around yes. things that we're both so passionate about. And yeah, just thank you so much for what the work that you're doing, the, the way you're impacting so many people through just taking the steps, like, you know, the risk to put yourself out there, to put con amazing content out there to connect people. Um, it's such an honor. So thank you. Thank you so much. Well, well, thank you for just being you and for doing what you do. And if I'm going to be transparent, I still have days where I doubt myself. Oh, There's yeah. still days where I still have to remind myself of who I am and how far I've come. So mm -hmm. the work is something that is ongoing and there's no end to it. It's a marathon. You know, we're still... Yeah learning things about ourselves that we didn't learn the day before or the day before that is that's just how the process is as you know very well yeah i think that's you know just real quick what you're saying reminds me of something we had talked about earlier which is um you're always on this journey and we sometimes see the finished product of someone and we're like dang they really have it together like they are they must be here and i'm only back here but the truth is like, we all have these moments of of doubt, of questioning our identity, our purpose. Uh, yes. You know, we have these moments of fear that maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I should have done like just second guessing, and just the 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 power of the, all of that is to know like you're not alone. And as long as every day you're saying, okay, I need to realign myself with what my purpose is and who I am, like the, the impact is powerful. It's great, you know. So. We're all here. We're all on this journey. <laughs> oh, we're all on this journey. Yeah. All right, Rebecca. So we might have to do a part two. I know we're going to be having conversations off the air, 
But as far as the podcast itself, or even maybe even the future, we might have to do some kind of collab because even as we're talking, I sense some parallels. I know you sense them too. I sense yeah. the vibe. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love that. So, and don't think that I didn't already think about that. So. Of, of course, of course. <laughs> so we'll definitely talk more about that. For but sure. I want to wish you a good rest of the day. Um, I think you're off for the summer. School yep. year's over, right? So yep. I definitely want to wish you a good summer vacation if we don't connect again during these next couple months. And um, just keep on pushing. Looking forward to see what Maracuja looks like in the fall. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Thanks. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, people. So we're about to end another fantastic episode of I Dang Talk for Educators Live. And as always, I wish you all a good morning, good afternoon, and good night wherever you are in the world. And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Identity Talk for Educators Live podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram with the handle at Identity Talk for Educators Live. And that's a numeral four in the middle. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all other streaming platforms. We're always striving to provide you with quality content. So if you love what you heard tonight, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And to check out the video episodes of the podcast, you can visit our website at www.com identitytalkforeducators.com. Thank you and have a great day.